Turn with me to John. John chapter 10. Tonight we'll take up with the, in the outline, of course, with point two, but I'm going to read the, the verses again for us, one through 21. Truly, truly, I say to you, the one who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep, but climbs up some other way, he is a thief and a robber. But the one who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens and the sheep listen to his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he puts all his own sheep outside, he goes ahead of them and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. However, a stranger they simply will not follow but will flee from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus told them this figure of speech, but they did not understand what the, thing, what the things which he was saying to them meant. So Jesus said to them again, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All those who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved. And will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came so that they would have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. The wolf snatches them and scatters the flock. He flees because he is a hired hand and does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know my, my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice, and they will become one flock with one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life so that I may take it back. No one is taking it away from me, but I lay it down on my own. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it back. This commandment I received from my Father. Dissension occurred among the Jews because of these words. Many of them were saying, He has a demon and is insane. Why do you listen to him? Others were saying, These are not the words of one who is demon-possessed. A demon cannot open the eyes of those who are blind, can it? The Lord blessed the reading and hearing of his word. In the 1630s, if you've uh, studied... Uh, English and Scottish history, or just a, a, a general history course, you know the 1630s were a tumultuous time. And uh, that was true in the church as well. In, uh, in Scotland, uh, there was a minister who was uh, known 
quite well known. His name was Alexander Henderson, and he would have been in the in what was called in the Church of Scotland at the time a, a moderate in the in the party sense of the word. He was a moderate. We would we would say he was something more like a liberal theologically. He uh, he went to hear the famed Robert Bruce preach. And uh, when he arrived, he and his uh, little entourage, uh, they couldn't get in the door. Uh, the house was already full. And so uh, Alexander Henderson uh, went, aw- went around to the side and found a little opening in the window, and he, he and his friends crept in, uh, kind of edged themselves into the crowd. And on that particular evening, Robert Bruce was preaching from this passage. Some of y'all are acting like you haven't a clue how this could fit. You didn't listen or read your Bibles, did you? The thief comes in another way. He doesn't come in through the door. And so Alexander Henderson, who was an ordained gospel minister in the Church of Scotland, had come in another way, not through the door. And Robert the Bruce, not Robert the Bruce, I'm sorry, Robert, we should say this is the Robert the Bruce, but not the famous one. This should be the famous one. Robert Bruce, the Presbyterian minister, proceeds to preach from this text. He didn't know Alexander Henderson was there. He didn't know what had preceded his preaching this sermon. He didn't know that he had crept in like a thief and a robber. But God did. And God saved Alexander Henderson that night. A man ordained and preaching in the Church of Scotland congregation. God saved him because he was a thief and a robber. He was not he was not a shepherd of the sheep. He was a hireling. And this passage described him and Robert Bruce's faithful preaching exposed him to the good news both of his sinfulness and lostness but of the Lord Jesus Christ being the door and the good shepherd and the one who leads his flock in and out and in and out giving them protection giving them the provisions they need uh, it's not just ministers who occasionally are lost and need to hear the gospel and need to trust Jesus Christ. Although that's true, and it's been true throughout the history of the church in some very famous cases. Alexander Henderson is one. I could have told this story about Thomas Chalmers, the great Scottish preacher of the 19th century, for eight years an unconverted man in the, in the pulpit. God saved him. Abraham Kuyper same 19th century Dutch minister and he was saved you know how that came about well God did it yeah I know yeah but he used this little lady named Pige Baltus he went to visit her and she proceeded to ask him if he understood why nobody wanted to come and hear him preach and he didn't and she explained you don't have anything to say 
And she said, I'll give you a set of Calvin's Institutes if you'll read them. Well, he had written his, uh, his, uh, his college thesis, his master's equivalent to what we have today, a master's thesis on John Calvin, had never read the Institutes. And he came to saving faith through the witness of this little Dutch woman. And then goes on to have this remarkably blessed ministry. So there are a lot of people, ministers included, who creep in through various ways. They pray a prayer that somebody told them would save them. I heard it on the television this morning while I was eating my raisin bran. I just turned on and, and, and this fellow said, pray this prayer. And if you prayed this prayer, you're a Christian. Don't, no matter what anybody ever tells you, you're a Christian. You prayed this prayer. Well, maybe they are, maybe they aren't. I hope anyone who may have prayed the prayer, I hope they really believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. But praying a prayer doesn't save you. That would be works righteousness. Regurgitating good theology doesn't save you. Anybody can listen to the Sunday school lessons here at Covenant to the catechism classes on Wednesday night here at Covenant, to the sermons on Sunday morning, Sunday night here at Covenant, and regurgitate good theology. But that doesn't save anyone. That's creeping in through another way, but not coming through the door. And the door is Jesus Christ. And Jesus is going to get even more blunt about this later, isn't he, in chapter 14, when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Here he's using a figure of speech and they don't get it so he has to break it down for them. And that's what we're going to do tonight. That's, that's where we are right now is coming to the breaking it down point. And that's what point number two is all about. But as we proceed with this, it's always good for us to examine ourselves that we be found in the faith, isn't it? Now there's two things that come of this. You examine your heart in contrast to the scriptures and you come to the conclusion, I'm not a Christian. I need to be a Christian. I want to be a Christian. I need to trust in the door, the Lord Jesus Christ. I need to follow the good shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ. I need to, I need to enter through the way, the truth, and the life, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's one outcome of examining yourselves that you be found in the faith. The other is that you examine yourself and you you say, I, I'm, in the, I'm in the way. I'm in Christ. Praise God. Either way, you leave this place rejoicing, right? You either come to faith in Christ or you're confirmed in your faith in Christ. And so examine yourselves this evening. The first, or in this case, the second point in the outline, the true shepherd is also the only way, the entry to life. Verses 7 through 10. Let's look at those. So Jesus said to them after they didn't get it, he starts breaking it down and he begins with the door figure of speech. Truly, truly. And notice again, he restates what he began in verse one with the amen, amen, the truly, truly, the behold, sit up and take, listen, I am the door of the sheep. All those who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. Now let's, let's just deal with this first. When Jesus says all, he's talking about all those false shepherds of Ezekiel 34. 
He's not talking about all the prophets. He's surely not talking about Isaiah and Ezekiel and Jeremiah and Daniel and Hosea. He's talking about those shepherds that trampled the sheep under their feet back in Ezekiel 34, who muddied the water, who, who trashed the beautiful, beautiful fields of grass and took the crops for themselves and left the sheep nothing to have for themselves, nothing they needed. That's who he's talking about. That's who all these are who came before me are thieves and robbers. And by the way, remember who he's talking to. We started with this point last week. Back at the end of chapter 9, he is specifically addressing the Pharisees. Remember? They are the direct line. They're the immediate antecedent to all those who came before me are thieves and robbers. The Pharisees, the teachers of the church, right then and there, they're thieves and robbers. But the sheep do not listen to them. And we see an example. We've seen examples of this already. How many times have we heard them say something? And then some of the sheep believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. They don't listen to the thieves and robbers. They don't follow the thieves and robbers. And it's, and it's going to happen again right here. Dissension occurred. Many were saying he has a demon. Well, we know who that is. It's the Pharisees. Others were saying, these are not the words of one who is demon-possessed. And then they asked this poignant question. A demon cannot open the eyes of those who are blind, can it? Going back to chapter 9 in the blind man. So again, we see the evidence. People aren't following these blind guides. They're not following these thieves and robbers. But they're going to follow Jesus Christ. I am the door. And then he said, if anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Do you notice that the parallel there back to Ezekiel, that wonderful, they follow their shepherd in and out of the sheepfold. The sheepfold was that location where they'd be safe. So the shepherd would put them in there when there was any kind of, any kind of trouble to keep them safe from the marauding wolves and from bad weather, etc. And then he would call them out and they would follow him. Now, the thieves and robbers, the hirelings could come and they could call the sheep all day. Remember, I began last Sunday morning. Uh, the children remember this. You adults have, have, have forgotten. But the children remember the cow, right? The cow's out at grandpa's farm. He can pull up, he can holler, they come running. I can pull up, I can holler, and I think I'm sounding just like he is, and they just stand over there and look at the ground like, hmm, wonder what's going on. Your dogs are like that. Guests come, they call your dogs, they don't listen. You call the dog and he runs. Jesus calls us. And we come running and go in the sheepfold for safety. Jesus calls us out. We come out and we go eat the clean grass and drink the, the still water. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved. And we go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came so that they would have life and have it abundantly. Notice here the thief.
Jesus is making a, 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 a huge claim here. These thieves and robbers, these Pharisees, are agents of Satan. Satan's the ultimate thief. He's the one who will steal your joy. The joy of, your, of, of his salvation for you. Satan's the one who will lie. He's the prince of, of liars. He's the prince of darkness. And Jesus is in essence saying here that these thieves and robbers are just following their master to steal and kill and destroy. We're going to see that more in just a short time when Jesus challenges them, when they assert that they, they are the really, they're the ones, they're the ones who are the real children. And uh, Jesus is going to say, no, no, you're not. You're not. So Jesus is the only way. He explains the door analogy. He explains who the false shepherds are. They were appointed by men, not by Christ. And then that leaves us again with the question that I proffered at the beginning of this. And that is, we have to examine ourselves. Have we entered through the proper door? Is Jesus Christ our door? Or is our, we grew up in a covenant household. I was baptized when I was a covenant child. I prayed a prayer. I learned the catechism. I memorized Bible verses. Is that the door? Now let me pause. All those are wonderful things, aren't they? To be born in a covenant household, to grow up in a covenant home, to grow up in the church, memorizing catechism questions, memorizing the scriptures, learning all the Bible stories. All those are good things. But they're not salvation. I'll remind you of something. We're not saved by good theology. We're saved by the good shepherd. Good theology will come. But that's not our salvation. We're saved by Christ and Christ alone. Don't ever forget that. And don't ever depend on anything else. But Jesus Christ. He is the way and the truth and the life. He's the door. And what we see here is next, he's the good shepherd. Verse 11. I am, oh, oh, before we leave verse 10, I focused on Satan and his agents. They still kill and destroy. I came so that they, the sheep, would have life and have it abundantly. Isn't it sad when you meet a Christian and you ask, how are things? All right, just, just doing all right, I guess. I'm getting by. Best you can expect in this world. That's sad, folks. Did you read that verse? Did you listen? It sounds more like you're following the, the thief who came to steal, kill, and destroy than following 
Jesus Christ, who came to give life and life abundant. Does, uh, I'm doing all right, I guess. Sound abundant to you? Please say no. Yeah, no. The whole hum. You know, I'm seeing Brad Isbell up there. We have an, an affectionate term. In our family, we call it defectionate. We, 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 years ago, I don't know where this started, somebody called him Mr. Miserable. And he's not. And I want to just fix that right now. He is henceforth and forevermore not Mr. Miserable. Some of you children who've grown up in this church grew up hearing that. It's because he's a contemplative fellow. He has a, he has a discerning look on his face. Not disconcerted look, a discerning look. He's not miserable. He's happy in the Lord. And we're all called to live a life abundant. So that, so work on it. Out in public, in the church house, Wednesday night. This summer, when we're out on on some of these wonderful picnics that we have in the summers. You know, let your countenance reflect that we have life and we have it abundant. I would refer you back. I do wish it had been recorded. I got to hear several of them. Ken Center taught that wonderful series in Sunday school on joy, Christian joy. We could all have a good dose of it now. Next, point three on your outline the true shepherd is always in control or sovereign. The true shepherd is sovereign. Verses 11 through 18. Jesus claims to be the Davidic Messiah shepherd promised in Ezekiel thirty-four twenty-three. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Did you notice there at the end of the portion we're reading in in uh, Ezekiel, that God is the great shepherd. He's the I, I myself will come. And then at the end, it says, I'm going to send my prince, David. There's the promise of the Davidic king that's going to come and rule on the throne of David forever. Something that David's sons didn't do. But it was never meant for David's physical sons to ever do that. It was meant for the the ultimate David, the ultimate king to rule forever and ever. And so I, I myself will be the shepherd. I'm going to save my sheep. I'm going to send a prince. And all of a sudden here in this passage, Jesus collapses both of them into one. That Davidic prince is Jesus. Go back and look at the lineage in Matthew and in Luke. He's the Davidic king. He was the promised king who would come and rule on the throne forever. And so he is exalted on high. He's seated on the throne with his father. From thence he shall judge the quick and the dead. And he rules and reigns from that throne forever and ever. We confess that. We believe that. We're not looking forward to an earthly, physical, human king. We're looking forward to a God-man king. We're not looking forward to a rebuilding of the temple. 
Jesus is the temple. He said, tear this temple down three days, I'll build it back. He's the temple. He's the one that that physical temple pointed us to. He's the place where we commune with God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in and through Jesus Christ, who's the good shepherd and the door. So he's here claiming to be the Davidic Messiah shepherd promised in Ezekiel 34, 23. And in so doing, of course, what that means is he's God. John just over and over, doesn't he, weaves these little, I'm God. If it's not an outright statement, it's, it's theological. And sometimes if you're not paying close attention, you might miss it. Now don't miss this. When Jesus says, I am the Jews went bonkers. These Pharisees went loon, just loony at that point because all they could hear was God's name, the great Jehovah, I am who I am. And they could only hear Ezekiel 34, I, I myself will shepherd my people. And Jesus just comes right out and says that I am the good shepherd. Now, if he's the good shepherd, who are they? Well, again, they're the thieves and the robbers. They're the ones Ezekiel took aim at back in Ezekiel 34. I should say God took aim at them. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So he claims to be God and then he turns right around and he says, and I'm going to die for my sheep. And of course, that is one of the primary purposes of his coming, was to save his people from their sins. And he did that by laying down his life. And notice, by the way, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He's going to come back to this in just a moment, so we'll wait and come back to it again. And then he says, he who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who is not the owner of the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters the flock. So he's going to die in order to save his sheep. He's not a hireling. So you know you can count on him to do that. You understand that what he's saying here when he says that he who is hired is not a shepherd, he and, and who is not the owner of the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep. He's saying, I own my sheep. I'm not just working here. This is not just a job. I own these sheep. They are my possessions. Now, we're twofold possessions of Christ, right? We're first owned by God, by Christ, in the eternal covenant from before the foundation of the, of the world. Ephesians chapter 1, before the foundation of the world, we were chosen in Christ Jesus. We were given to him. We are his possessions. But then, it's not just that eternal ownership. He then comes and through his death, and his burial and his resurrection, based upon his perfect life, he bought us out of sin. We're twice owned. Eternally owned, and then in time and space, 
bought with the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 6.20, Paul says, Christ bought us with his blood. Peter says that in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18, that we've been bought with a price, not of this world, silver and gold, even precious things like that, but with the blemish, unblemished lamb, the perfect lamb, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Isn't that wonderful to think about that we're, we're, we're twice owned from eternity and then it was sealed with Christ and his work on this earth. But then notice what else Christ says here. He's not only uh, the good shepherd, he's the one who lays down in life for the sheep. He's not a hireling, but he owns us. And then it says, he flees, the hireling does, because he's hired and does not care about the sheep. I'm the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Notice the intimacy of this. We could say, well, he he owns us. We're bought with a price. There are things that you and I have to buy every day that aren't particularly special. They're just necessities. Did you notice how Jesus pulls us close to himself here? Just as I and the Father, so my sheep are to me. There's an intimacy that we have with Christ Jesus that unbelievers don't have with anyone or anything else in this world. And then he goes on. He says, I lay down my life for the sheep. So he says it again. Good shepherd lays down his life. Now he's saying, I'm the good shepherd. I'll lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. They'll become one flock. So he's speaking here to Jews primarily. He says, but I have sheep outside of Judaism. Well, God always had sheep outside of Judaism, right? Say yes. Yes, he always did. Abraham was not a Jew. God made him a Jew. You understand that. There was no Jew, no Semites before Abraham. God didn't make Adam a Semite. Abraham came out of the land of Chaldee. He was a Gentile. It's not a physical thing. It's not a blood thing. It's a spiritual thing. That's the reason we are called in Galatians the Israel of God. I don't know if any of you, and you probably couldn't document it either because of the records being destroyed in A.D. 70 with the fall of Jerusalem and the temple. But I don't know if any of you even claim to have a little Jewish blood in you, but it doesn't matter. That doesn't make you more special than anyone else. What makes us special is Jesus Christ, the door, the shepherd. Faith in him makes us part of the Israel of God. But notice something else he says here. Oh, and by the way, we see that all over the place. Paul talks about this in Ephesians chapter 2 with that middle wall partition being torn down. It's it's leaked out in the passage I read this morning from Luke with the curtain of the temple being torn down. That was the separating temple. 
uh, a separating curtain in the temple. And so all of a sudden, uh, the, the Gentile court and the Jewish interior court were, were all one now. As I said, Paul then brings it up in Ephesians 2, and the middle partition is taken away. There's no longer Jew or Gentile. We're all one in Christ Jesus. And then God does some remarkable things to reinforce that by taking the dietary laws away. Remember, the dietary laws weren't for health. That's a misconception. They weren't for health. They were to distinguish Israel from other nations. Who distinguishes us from other people now? The Holy Spirit does. The dietary law was a, was a picture. It was a, a type. It was a symbol picturing the coming of the Holy Spirit in fullness to take away our, to make us different people, possessed people, peculiar people. And Jesus says, I came not just for you people, but I came for other people, and I must bring them also. Jesus, in chapter 17, the high priestly prayer, we'll get there in a few years, and, and or months, rather. And when we get there, we'll see in the high priestly prayer, Jesus prays. And I don't only pray for you, I pray for those who will believe what they hear later. That's us. And people all through the centuries. That's people who are not of this fold that he must bring in to the fold. It's a big fold, isn't it? So big, John couldn't even count them in Revelation chapter 7. I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice, and they will become one flock with one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life so that I may take it back. Now listen to this. No one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up. This is back to what I said briefly this morning, isn't it? Jesus controlled his life and his death. We've seen it already. They came, going to make him king, and he slipped through their hands. Jesus is in control. He is sovereign. Not one thing happened that he didn't control. And when he went to the cross, he was in control. We see him as the bloody victim, and he was that, but he was a triumphal king. He was in control. He went to the cross to offer perfect worship and to save us from our sins. He was in control. He says so right here. No one's taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own. And by the way, I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it back. This commandment I received from the Father is talking about the eternal decree for him to come and to do all this. And what's the, some of the last words Jesus says to his church on this earth in Matthew 28? It begins with this. I have authority in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples. The same authority he exercised in his life, he still exercises in and through the church's life today. So when we preach the gospel, we preach it in the name of Jesus Christ with the authority of Jesus Christ. When we call sinners to repentance, we do it with the authority of Jesus Christ. When we call them to faith in Jesus, we do it in the authority of Jesus Christ. 
It's not us. We shouldn't flinch. We shouldn't be bashful. We shouldn't be shy because we're not doing it our own authority. We're doing it with the authority of Jesus Christ. And he's the king of the universe. That's part of the good news. And that's why we do it. Jesus is in control. Finally, notice what happens when somebody enters the door and follows the good shepherd. Dissension occurs. Now we could turn. Jesus says this. Mother and father are going to turn. Daughters will turn against mothers. Sons against fathers. Fathers against sons. Now I want to say something. This is one of the saddest things that you'll ever see is that kind of division come. But I'll tell you something sadder, folks. It's when that kind of division, that kind of dissension comes and the parents capitulate. And all of a sudden, well, you know, they support their children. Well, that's not a, I know that's not a church I would want to be part of, but do we have to say it's not really a church? Because I know, and all of a sudden we start compromising. Jesus says, if you're mine, if you've entered through the door, if you're following my voice, you hear my voice and you hear, have ears for my voice and you follow my voice, you're going to be at odds with one another. Even in your own families. And some are going to say, well, you're crazy. To believe that. But others are going to say. No. You'd be crazy not to believe that. I mean that's what happened right here isn't it. He has a demon. Must be insane. Why are you listening to him? And the reply was. Wait a minute. Who's insane? He cast demons out. He healed a blind man. He gave. He gave. He gave legs to a man to walk demons would do that now who was hearing the voice and who was following the good shepherd in those last two verses not the pharisaical leadership but whoever these other people were that were contradicting them and yet there was this dissension in the midst of the church in Jerusalem at the time because some said, no, we're going to follow the way, we're going to follow the truth, we're going to follow Jesus Christ. And others said, no, nah, there's got to be something else going on here. It doesn't have to be exactly this way. You don't really have to do it the way God says you have to do it. And there will always be that kind of dissension. So I want to urge you, if you find yourself parents... And I realize in this room, somehow, if you find yourself in this kind of predicament, keep your eyes on Christ. Keep your ears attuned to his voice. Because, listen, patronizing your children who have drifted into sin will not bring them out of sin, but only confirm them in their sin. Compromising on the truth will confirm to them that you don't have any convictions. And they'll believe then they are the ones with the real convictions. You need to stand firm. And it's going to hurt. And I realize that. 
but it's the, on the authority of Christ that we have to stand and know that, you know what, I'm going to just trust God. Isn't that a novel idea? We're just going to trust God. And even though it brings strife in our families from time to time, we're just going to obey God. And we're going to love Jesus and we're going to listen to our shepherd. And when he calls us, we're going to follow. And when he says stay and rest, we're going to stay and rest. Jesus is the shepherd. He's the entryway. He's the sovereign. And he is the provocateur. He will bring division. But those are the truths. The questions that follow are, do we hear his voice? And do we... Do we reply as he tells us to reply? We really are left at the end of the day when you read a passage like this, and particularly those last three verses, 19, 20, 21. We're left with that, that, that hymn, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Those who have ears to hear, trust and obey. Father, thank you for this evening and ask now that you bless the reading, the hearing, and the preaching of your word. That Jesus Christ's voice would become so dear and special. We'd, we'd become so attuned to it. and We'd be constantly looking for the door, either to enter in behind him or to go out to follow him. We pray this in his name. Amen.